ordinary college student until he was attacked by his roommate, a werewolf. Now he's running for his life, chased by a bounty hunter for the murder of his cursed friend. In pursuit himself of the evil werewolf Scorzani, the source of his bloodline, a beast who must die to set Eric free, a race against time and the bloodlust that threatens to overwhelm him. Now, werewolf, the legend continues. Tonight, you are about to begin a journey into terror. When the world isn't the same as our minds believe, then we are in a nightmare. And nothing is worse than a nightmare. Except one you can't wake up from. Two more kids were killed last night. The cycle has begun. Now there's silver bullets in that gun. You can end the curse by severing the original bloodline. What's happening to you? I did it. I killed last night, Kelly. You're one of mine, aren't you? I don't want to be like this. You come to kill me. <laughs> I'm send a bounty hunter after this kid? What the hell you got in there? I don't know. <laughs> Find a chair that's comfortable and safe. Prepare yourself for Werewolf. Next. Well, we're back here at Recon Cinema Studios. We have a very exciting time of year. We are right in the middle of Shocktober here at the studios, and we've got yet another very, very special episode. Uh, we've got a very special guest with us. It's Jay Blake Fischera from Scored to Death from Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Uh, we're super happy to have you here. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. That's a beautiful studio you guys have. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. Thank you so much. We shine it up. We shine it yeah. up. Uh, on we, clean, we, we cleaned it up real nice just for you, for sure. M- much better than my parents' basement where Dion and I always recorded. So <laughs> we'll sleep hey, that, that's pretty nice. It's got its own vibe, though, you know. Uh, and of course, we have uh, our usual co-host with us. Uh, I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And uh, welcome back to Reconsinimation, uh, your podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we are, it's a huge day here at the studios, and the whole studio lot is celebrating because we're, we're veering off the path a little bit. It's our first episode looking at a, a television show, and specifically a television pilot, and one that I think everybody should know about, but most don't. We're looking at one of uh, Fox Television's very first series, Werewolf, uh, that, that debuted in 1987. And, and Blake, I know, is a huge fan of that show, as am I. And Brent and David, you guys are, are relatively new to it, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, and also, I, I, I only watched the Tracy Ullman pilot, so... Uh... <laughs> I screwed up which Fox show wrong, we wrong were one, be doing. Wrong one. Yeah. All right. All right. Let me quick watch the, the werewolf yeah. pilot. No. Yeah. Jump, jump on that. Yeah. Jump it's, on it's, that. it's, it's also fairly new to me, although having watched it recently, like there are elements to it that seem familiar, but I, I do not recall seeing this when it, when it first released. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know this thing. Um, I, I, I back then I was seven. I wasn't watching a lot of Fox to begin with, to be honest. Um, and then, 
yeah, it just it never came across my radar at that point. And then hadn't heard of it until a few years ago when I had seen it with with John. He he insisted. And uh, I watched it then. I'm surprised, Brent, that maybe was this not available back in the college days for you to? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm actually a little shocked that John didn't share his, I'm sure, multiple VHS bootleg copies uh, in our yeah. dorm room. But yeah, I did not see this with John in college. The first time I saw it, uh, at least with any kind of recollection, was this last week. Well, there's a reason for that, and 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 I'll get I'll circle around to it. But uh, you really hate me. I see. <laughs> it is you've lied to me all these years. Thanks, John. I felt like my whole life that there was I was the only person that saw this show. That nobody I I talked to even heard of it until Blake and I crossed paths, and and he revealed that oh, he was a a big fan of the show and loved it. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. So someone else knows that it existed. So <laughs> you didn't make it up. I, I did not make it up. <laughs> but Blake, what do you, what do you remember about when it came out? Did you see it right when it aired or did you, cause I, I, I can't remember how long it was on repeats, but I know there was obviously like some, some drama with the air dates. Well, I did not have cable. So uh, until I was like in college, until my college dorm room had like basic cable. So I mean, I had it sometimes when I, when I went to visit my dad on the weekends and stuff, I, he had it, but for the most part, like I only watched it like the night it aired. That's the only time I had ever seen it. I never got to revisit it until probably within the last 10 years when I, you know, got bootleg DVDs off of like I offer or something. Uh, oh my God. I offer is that, that thing's still around. <laughs> no, I don't think it is because uh, I was looking for some show the other day and I couldn't find that website. Uh, I don't, here's the thing. Like, I don't remember anything specific. I mean, I was, uh, I don't know, eight, nine, something like that. So uh, maybe. Yeah it's like, I just remember like images and I don't remember if I saw the pilot or not, if I, or if I missed that, but I know that like it became must see TV for me. And it was one of the things it was probably actually the, my first love in horror was probably this show. And because of the show werewolves, Whoa. Um, you know, there was a lot of back in our day, there was a lot of hard TV, you know, be way before walking dead. Yeah. We had, <laughs> we did have like Friday the 13th, the series, and yeah. we had like reboots of the Hitch Hitchcock presents and twilight zone. And then, uh, outer limits. And then of course, then uh, tales from the crypt came on HBO, but then that started getting aired in syndication on at like midnight on weekends in the nineties. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so we have a lot of, like horror TV, uh, Tales from the Dark Side was another classic. With, with one of the best opening credit sequences of <laughs> Tales all Tales from time. the Dark Side is still like one of my favorite like horror TV shows ever. Like I love, I love that show. Yeah. Well, you can read about the creation of that theme in uh, oh. Score to Death 2, more conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. I, actually, while, awesome. while we're talking about it, why don't, <laughs> t tell everybody about, uh, about the book series and, and you've got two books out for it now, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's all kind of linked to this in a weird way, because like I was saying, this was a huge uh, impact on me as a kid when I saw this show. Um, and uh, I'll kind of make like a 
like an overall timeline, which is the most important thing about this show. And I looked for it because I know I still have it because I brought it to show D on it. And one of our episodes of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, I want to say it was Halloween. Probably it must have been either 87 leading up to the show or 88 after that had already premiered and uh, they were well into the season. My mom, I lived in Philadelphia at that time. And my mom took me to some like Halloween event. It was at my recollection. It was like at some gymnasium somewhere in Philadelphia. And it must've been sponsored by like the local Fox affiliate because we went and I remember, I remember I wore my grandmother. I had a black sweatsuit and my grandmother had sewn a felt white spider on it to look like the black Spider-Man suit. Cause that was a big deal. Wow. Oh yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and that was, that was like my costume. And we went to this thing and it was just me and my mom. And then there was like other kids, obviously. And they gave us like a goodie bag that had candy and stuff. And inside the goodie bag was like a button that is probably like two and a half to three inches in, in uh, diameter. And it was one of those, I forget the name of it, like ventricle coal or whatever. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. It, yeah. You turn it and it, you turn it. changes. And it was, uh, it was uh, John J. York. And then when you kind of slightly turned it, it was the werewolf. Oh, nice. And it's somewhere in my apartment. I was, I was going to say, do day. you still have it? Yeah, I do still have it. That's and, awesome. And does it that, work still? <laughs> no, it does work. And I've posted like <sighs> photos of each side of it on uh, oh, like rad. Instagram and stuff. But uh, it, it's in a box somewhere in my apartment. And I just could not find it. I was going to, I was going to show it off today. <laughs> show and tell. Well, anyway, so this show, uh, like it just, I fell in love with werewolves and I would make my mom take me to the library to take out books about like werewolves and werewolf movies. And then I'd make my mom take it to work and like photocopy pictures for me. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And I'd staple it and I had like my own copy of the book at home. Yeah. Um, and then just like horror had always been kind of a presence for me. Uh, in the 90s, I fell in love with the movies of John Carpenter. When I got into film school, I started for college. I started to fall in love with Dario Argento and all kinds of other horror movies, David Cronenberg. And in addition to that, I fell in love with the music. And so, uh, you know, 20 years later from when I saw In the Mouth of Madness uh, at a sleepover, probably on a Saturday night, right around this time of year, actually, uh, from when we're recording this, uh, that was the, the, that soundtrack was the first soundtrack I ever bought um, for myself on CD, uh, a horror movie soundtrack. And then 20 years after that, I ended up uh, writing this book uh, called Score to Death Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, which was a collection of 14 interviews with composers who have contributed to the horror genre. And then uh, this past year, in December of uh, 2020, I released the second volume. So Squirted Death 2, more conversations with some of Horace greatest composers. And it's full of, in, the, both of them are filled with uh, interviews uh, that are very detailed, in-depth conversations about their these composers' processes, behind-the-scenes information about the movies. And uh, that kind of all, in a weird way, started Wow. With a little show 
on Fox. Called That's Werewolf. incredible, man. Oh, wow. And we get to talk about it today with you. So we get to talk your origin story on our oh, show. Th- there's, there's more to the show than that? I thought That's I was ready to sign off. <laughs> and that's a wrap. You can reach us at www. Yeah. Check us out on Instagram. That's that's incredible that it all it all kind of spawned off of a little show called Werewolf. That's that's amazing. That's- yeah, well, you know, you at that age, I mean, there are certain age ages where you're just like really impressionable. And uh, you know, I feel like when you're in your teens, like music becomes a really big thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like the music you fall in love with then is kind of the music in some way you're going to love for the rest of your life yep. uh, in some variation. And, you, and you'll add to that list, but you'll always kind of have a special spot in your heart for the music you fall in love with uh, when you were that age. And some of it you will abandon, but I feel like stuff like this, like horror, I feel like for a lot of us, especially of the video store generation, uh, we fell in love with horror at a very young age. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a little bit taboo and it was scary, but it was safe. And the fact that this kind of like budding network, brand new, trying to compete against like the big three started kind of out with some very odd programming choices, Very trying much. to hit <laughs> trying to trying to hit like the demographics that those other networks weren't hitting we get something like werewolf which would have never happened before that at least you'd have things like kolshak the night stalker in the 70s and you would have like starsky and hutch has like a vampire episode with john saxon as the vampire (laughs) uh so there was kind of shades of that of course dark shadows yeah um, I mean, one of the first one of the first horror movies I remember watching with my mom was the mini series Salem's Lot, you know, uh, Stephen King's uh, book, and it, you know, that that was great for back then, but that was also early '80s, right? So, yeah, very early. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the '90s, they started to bring back like the Sunday night movie, in addition to like airing Star Trek the motion picture a million times. They also had like these like costume dramas of uh like a two-parter of michael kane with jack the ripper and i remember mm-hmm. there was a michael kane one with dr jekyll dr jekyll and mr hyde so it was like television always kind of dabbled in horror <laughs> yeah yeah but uh I, there i don't think there had ever had ever been a series that was just like we're gonna f- copy the whole incredible hulk model and instead of him turning into the Hulk, he's just going to turn into a werewolf every yeah. episode. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it, it's it is such a blueprint of off of really the fugitive and Incredible Hulk that you know story of the week, traveling, you know, little mini adventure that you know with one overall arch arcing storyline, but you know, just everything was pretty much focused in that individual episode. So. It was uh, it wasn't a new formula, really, but uh, no. I guess a new version of it. But what's shocking to watch it now, if you watch past the pilot, is that each episode is only a half hour long. Yeah. Oh, what? Is, I always yeah. thought it was an hour. <laughs> it's only half so an hour. It's, yeah. So it's crazy because we're not used to like a a drama right. in that in, right. in in thirty minutes. Com sitcoms. Yep. Or like those kind of horror anthology, like Twilight Zone, 
there's no, there's, well, there's no such thing as a half hour drama. It's just, it well, I mean, exist. how do you, how do you even, I mean, so I only watched the, the pilot, right. But I, I did read that the, the rest, the remaining episodes were 30 minutes. Like, I don't even understand how you can pack everything in that you need to for a, for a traveling show and, and have it work. Did it, was it, was it cohesive? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, you, you, you kind of skip the traveling part, you yeah. know, you kind of open every episode and he's wherever he's going to be. He, he's arriving. <laughs> he's like, got it. He's like walking into the diner, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it, okay. it, it's, it's kind of weird. Cause I, you know, I started watching it, you know, kind of in preparation for this. Cause I hadn't watched it really in any kind of real way since, you know, 1987. But, uh, and then when I got the DVDs, I kind of got into it for a while and, my girlfriend really wasn't feeling it. So it didn't last very long. Shocking. Shocking news. She's like, well, I didn't grow up with it. So it's, you know, I don't have the nostalgia for it that you do. But uh, it, it's kind of funny because I like, I feel like, I feel like at that length, it feels good to me. You know, like it, it doesn't feel long and it doesn't really feel too short. Like the yeah. stories that they're telling, they're concise, but I feel like, it was a good length and I kind of almost wish that more shows like this were that length. Yeah. Make, well, make, make trim the cause, fat. Cause shows are so, sh- you know, like a series, like a season now is so short. Yeah. yeah. Like make them a half hour and make twice as many. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's like, like, you know, you, you mentioned all these horror shows and all that. And it's like the genre itself lends to kind of making something on the cheap, right? Isn't that's like a horror movies and uh, a horror movies easy to make, right? You can keep the cost down and, but you get in the thrills and you can get a, you have a captured audience. So to translate that to TV must be kind of easy, right? Like you're, if you're doing horror, you know, you're, 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 you're recasting the show every, every time you're, you're, you're keeping it minimalism and minimalist and all that. Right. But like yeah. for this kind of show, right. Uh, with, like if I think of the X Files, like some X Files episode. I mean, going back and watching the X Files now is one thing to, to look back. But even back then, when the show was popular, those episodes seemed to drag sometimes, right? Oh, like yeah. it's, it's, some, it's a sure, full yeah. hour, yeah. and they had to kind of fill the time to hit each act to set the thing up, and then create the doubt and do the turn and da, 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 da. But it is like you know, you watch regular, you watch cable TV now, and if, whether it's a comedy or a drama, it's whatever length the story it lends itself to. So sometimes that I, I, I could, I could almost see that a half hour version of a, of this show is kind of, that sounds like easy. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it makes for a pretty easy watch because it's not a huge commitment. Yeah. And yeah. like, like you said, like you're, it doesn't try your patience really much at any point, you know, it kind of moves along. You know, it's a pretty basic storyline. Is that like he's trying to, you know, save himself, you know, cure yep. himself of this disease, and then it's him traveling to try to get get to that. Now, on the flip side of it, when you watch the pilot now, I mean, that in my opinion kind of drags quite a bit. <laughs> like he almost feel like they probably could have done that. I mean, there's like there's like an hour. There's like a thirty minute scene of exposition where it's just like, oh god, what's going on right now? Yeah, okay, that, and then there's that, and then there's, but yeah, the I still go back, like thinking of the thirty minute episode. Is it thirty minutes of content, or is it like twenty two minutes of content? It's like twenty two, twenty three at the at that. I mean, that's incredible. You know, like that's an incredible. 
an, an incredibly short amount of time, it seems like to try and to try and get a get a full like story in based on what I've seen of the pilot. Yeah, you know, yeah, but I guess I guess you know that's why there is so much exposition in that. Well, the, the show the is, they is get it all out of the way there, and then it's just boom, 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 right? The show is fairly. I don't know. I always remember the show being different than the pilot. You know, the pilot like sets everything up, but everything in the show sort of changes. You don't have some of the characters, like his girlfriend uh, from the pilot, is just yeah. not in the show at all. And like the and, first episode after the pilot, it's like all his narration of like writing her a letter. Yeah. Of mm. what he's of what's what he's doing. He's like, and I don't even know if I'm ever even going to be able to send this. But like it sets up like like that's going to be the exposition of like how the setup of every episode is going to be him, like kind of chronicling it in a journal, yeah. but for her, but then that gets abandoned very like by episode two, that's gone. It's yeah. gone. It's uh, one and done. Yeah. Okay. And even, you know, then they're they're They get into, you know, we'll get into this later, but they get into contract issues with Chuck Connors. So, mm-hmm. you know, your villain kind of can't be in it. And then they eventually kind of write him out and spin off to another super villain that that's Brian Thompson, who, I'm sure we all love the main villain in Cobra. Um, but, oh, yeah. uh, and Lance Legault, who's the, the um, bounty hunter who opens the whole show up. So you kind of, it kind of seems like it's him telling this story, but that gets abandoned too. Doesn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah. He kind of well, pops up here and there. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely in the f- first chunk of episodes. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know the back half of the, uh, of the list as, as well, but he's definitely like, He's still he's he's hunting searching for him, yeah. Which is a great device because, you know, it's like, which gets all set up in the pilot, which is, I don't know how much you want to get into like the plot. Maybe this is a well, place let's talk about. It. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. You can jump into that because, you know, for people that haven't seen it, he's uh, our main character, uh, played by John J. York. What's his character's name? Eric Cord. Oh yeah, Eric Cord. Of course, great name. And, uh, you know, he's just like a young guy and he has a friend who went away to work on boats or some shit. And then he comes back and he he discovers his friend tells him that he's been turned into a werewolf. And he basically wants Eric, his best friend, to to kill him, uh, to to rid him of this curse. And so that's like the big exposition um, scene that. You know, you guys yeah. were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I dug, I dug that slow burn though. I lo- like two two acts with them just in the apartment talking about all that stuff. I kind of, I kind of dug that. I, like, I love that scene actually. I, yeah. I, I don't mind it so much. It's just you know, compared to storytelling these days, it's very on the nose, right? And so, like, that's the only thing that I noticed about it because it is a lengthy kind of like, you know, it's just kind of an older style of of yeah. of storytelling for sure yeah, yeah yeah totally but it's like it's the the way it's shot the mood of it is like so oh, yeah. cool absolutely and it's like the guy's all in the shadows and then he'll pop into the, the feel his he'll feel his light for a few yeah yeah for a few lines and and the performance is actually pretty good or trying it's to good. tell yeah. you know telling the story yeah but it's, it's but, not even tv good it's it's good it's legit I, good i wish i had you know i I have not seen it on in great quality. So like a lot of the, probably the composition and moody lighting, like w- may have been lost on me a little bit only because 
it was a fairly low quality um, copy that I was that I was seeing it on. But but I you know I got the sense like I could I could I I could pick it up, but I don't think I got the full effect. Yeah, well, I, I don't think anyone has a high quality version of it. Uh, right, uh, yeah, it seems not. It seems uh, there's some unlikely. beta. There's I, some beta master somewhere. Which I is had. A, it's a bummer because I think that I mean. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into this later, so I won't jump the gun. But yeah, it, it would be cool if they released this some more. I had my original VHS copy that was like gold to me because, you know, very quickly this show went away, almost never to be seen again. And uh, a very good friend of mine borrowed it somewhere probably in the early 2000s uh, back in New York. And like whatever months went by, I forgot he had it. And then I remembered like way later. And he's like, no, I don't have it. <laughs> Uh, that tape was lost forever and and that would have been good quality because i would have copied it to dvd and made everyone watch it in college and that's why brent uh, you never got to see it in college because i lost it so fair enough and hopefully you never spoke to that friend again never never Mm -mm. that's 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 a line you just once you cross it that's it (laughs) yeah once you steal my werewolf cassette (laughs) you lose the one copy of werewolf in existence that's it I mean, it's um, valuable now. I'd, I'd, I'd say that, uh, but that exposition scene, I mean, that was the scene. I don't know. Actually, I was sucked in from the beginning. Like as a kid, I was what we're seven, eight years old, something when this came out, it premiered on July 11th, 1987. So, um, however old I was then, but, uh, I remember the promos and I was like sucked in by the promos. I had just seen silver bullet. And like was, you know, as we covered on the show, which you can listen to in the archives at www.reconcinemation.com. The I I love Silver Bullet and was kind of obsessed with werewolves, uh, same as you, Blake, and was really fascinated with this show. But my parents did not want they wanted to watch it first. So they're like, we'll tape it for you, but we're going to watch it and then we'll we'll see. So. I never, they never gave me that okay. And I was like, within the first couple of days of that week, I'm like, I, I'm watching the this. tape. Like, I have the tape in my hand. So I remember going up the street to, to some friends of mine, um, you know, all the, 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 all the kids that lived up on the neighboring blocks all kind of got together. It was a super rainy, you know, rainy afternoon. We're like, let's go to the McNamara family. Let's go to their basement and we'll all just, huddle up and watch this thing and putting it in and we're all, and then just that first scene happens in that, you know, silent running by Mike and the mechanics. When that comes on that whole scene through the club, like everyone's just silent and we're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like this is uh, we're, this is moody. got it. Uh, and then when the whole, when it ended, it was just silent. It was like pouring rain, thundering lightning. And we're all just in this dark basement completely like no one wants to move. <laughs> Uh, so th- that was my yeah i was i was hooked at that point but um yeah the the opening scene the club and then the exposition scene with uh rafael sparge sparge i think is his name uh who's kind of telling the whole story and explaining everything to the audience i mean really like that's where you understand what the hell is going on setting everything up I was, I, I think those were great scenes. I, yeah. They're very long. I mean, the, the, the exposition one for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a great opening for any kind of like thriller, you know, horror movie. You need like that first scene to establish like the danger of what's mm-hmm. happening. 
And then it becomes like a very typical like werewolf story in the sense like in the sense that it it's like there's these killings that are happening and like what's doing it and the words getting around that it's happening and you know nobody ever it's some kind of crazy animal or it's a, some kind of crazy killer which is you know you know that's kind of the formula for for a while. oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh, yeah um in a city too like like i don't i mean it's it looks like la i can't remember if they actually set it in la or if it's somewhere else or if they even actually say what city it is yeah that's i want to say seattle but it's possible that might, ju- yeah. that might just be the 21 jump street in me just like everything is <laughs> like moved up to vancouver by then and they keep yeah. on trying to pretend it's seattle <laughs> well that pilot uh, feels like such a it's such an urban like show you know it feels very city related and then the rest of the series is definitely out in countryville somewhere yeah yeah they they shoot mm-hmm. it in like new mexico some of it yeah. or something like that uh but you know so like i don't know the first if you i mean tv is a little bit different because like each between each commercial break is an act but if you're going by like a three-act structure like really the for a whole first act is we establish that there's a monster and then we'd establish that his friend is the monster. And then like act two kind of starts where like, you know, the, being the doubt, the doubting Thomas of heart, you know, every horror movie doesn't work if everybody's right on board, you know, right. from the yeah, get go, right. right. you know, you think of like how many horror movies are just really about like kids not being able to convince the grownups that like, you know, something's happening. Right. You know, so, you know, in this case, like Eric is the character who's like, you know, this is ridiculous, which, you know what, rightfully so. Any any of us would be a little bit skeptical at that point. But so his friend convinces him, like, tie me up. And if after midnight or whatever, if I'm still human, then, you know, we lost a couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we'll the, admit you have problems. <laughs> and yeah, I'll yeah. go, yeah, and then I'll go and I'll get uh, institutionalized or whatever. And that's when this waiting process is when we hear all this exposition. And lo and behold, it happens. Spoiler alert, his friend turns into a werewolf and Eric has to shoot him and, and kill him. And so this is kind of where I was getting at before, which is like now which I think is a pretty brilliant device to have you introduce the bounty hunter because he's like skipped bail for the, he's on, you know, for the murder trial. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, he's, he's like an escaped, he's a fugitive as well as a werewolf. Uh, And so you're able to have like this bounty hunter character who's hired to bring him back because he's an escaped fugitive, but soon realizes that there's more to the story than uh the typical bounty and so he's in the position of like the cowboy like hunter yeah just bounty hunter and i think it's like it's a really nice like concise device to have Mm -hmm. that kind of character be chasing him like in the incredible hulk it's like a you know it's a reporter yeah Who's like following the Hulk right. <laughs> from town to, you know, trying to trying to figure out what's going on. Who is this thing? What is this thing? But in this, because it's got that kind of more of a horror edge, there's a little more danger involved, you know, to have like this werewolf hunter 
like trying to find him. I just like, I think it's, I think it's cool. And I definitely thought it was cool when I was like, yeah. <laughs> so like in the series, would he use his wolf powers to like save a, 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 a failing business in a small town or <laughs> and a, stop an abusive boyfriend or, would he, or he episode, yeah. episode two, I think yeah. he stops an abusive boyfriend. Yeah. I think the a couple re- of times, <laughs> the redhead, yeah. the, like the redhead kid who kind of joined the cast of, uh, Different strokes, different strokes, and then was in Terminator Two as John Connor's friend. Oh, he's he he's, he has a uh, he has an obsession with where like monsters and werewolves. He's like a monster kid, and he's got a, a single mom who's got like a really asshole boyfriend that hits her. And so, yes, by episode two or three, he's already uh, breaking up domestic disputes. Well, yeah, one of the things I one of the things I read is that that from a I don't know if they like weave this into the story or not, but like one of the questions was like, do you have like a human or do you have like kind of consciousness when you're the werewolf and you know, like it's never really determined in the show, but it sounds like most of the people that he dispatches of are always like evildoers of some sort. So like it could lead you to believe that, that maybe you do like, maybe there is some kind of, um, you do have some kind of power over what's happening when you're the wolf. Yeah. Well, I think kind of, kind of hint at it a little bit in the pilot where he's like, you know, I've been here sleeping in the next bed and you know, you didn't come and kill me. I would have been like easy prey. And he's like, well, you know, even a rabid dog in the beginning of the stages mm-hmm. of wouldn't might not attack its owner, but as it continues, you know, he might lose that kind of control. Uh, so it's definitely kind of establishes that I think, when you read about it, they definitely make a point that in the series, he's never just going to like be a cold blooded yeah. predator and yeah. just kill at people. Uh, so yeah, there's some kind of like his, his morality still kind of controls the wolf to a certain extent is, yeah. or else, I mean, or else why, be, why root for him in some way? Right. Right. Like, well, I mean, I guess you could root for him that he cures himself, but then it's like at that point, you just kind of want him to put himself out of his misery. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the so. show doesn't, you know, it doesn't live long enough to explore some of those other yeah. other avenues. It's <clears throat> it's pretty much just him staying the hero, staying on the quote unquote good side of things, and and uh, before we can really get that far. I mean, it gets. I, I think just the casting changes that happen kind of throw throw a monkey wrench into whatever plans they had. So who knows? Hmm. But it was, I mean, the whole, the, the show was written by Frank Lupo, who is, you know, uh, of the, you know, late seventies and through the eighties and even into the nineties was a huge writer in TV. I mean, he did, well, he did Galactica 1980, which I'm sure is everybody's favorite show. Uh, but uh, Hunter was his main show that went forever. And then lots of TV movies after that. Riptide, Greatest American Hero. He was on the A-Team for a long time. Stingray and then Walker, Texas Ranger. So right there, that's that's gold. Cred. Right. You guys going to do Stingray on the show at some point? Oh, oh we should. Yeah. <laughs> right after Airwolf. <laughs> it just got to have wolf in the title somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, that's a, that's a really strong TV writer who obviously knows what he's doing and knew, knew how to structure things. But um, uh, I don't know. What do you guys, uh, what do you think about the casting though? Like 
you buy uh, John Jay York a- as the lead? I-, I personally did. I thought he was great, you know, not having done a heck of a lot before this and then afterwards kind of moving into uh, into like daytime soaps for a really long time. But and and I, I know he's in the credits for Night of the Creeps, but I don't think I, I can't. I never caught him as one of he's, the uh, he's one of the frat guys. Yeah, he's definitely in it when we covered it on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. I think that's when I brought the pin was on the button oh, yeah. was for yeah. that episode because uh, <laughs> he, he's definitely in that movie. Um, but I don't even know. I don't even recall if he has any lines. I just right. think he's he, he doesn't have there. any lines like I, I watched it. Uh, maybe three or four weeks ago and i was looking and i'm like i do not see him here anywhere unless he just looks a lot younger and isn't there a scene where they're like on a like a party bus or something oh, yeah. he's yeah. like he's on the bus yeah that I remember. that's where they all die like yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. where they all become the the <laughs> that's, that's his big that's his <laughs> big, that's scene. big scene yeah. <laughs> i i i like him you know he's 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 a good looking guy he put he pulls it off nice i think he yeah. does that he does have like a vulnerability to his performance that I think is engaging. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, you know, you don't know what's politically correct today, but I will say that like watching these things now, the show now it's like, you kind of feel like you did when you saw these women at the, for the first time when you were a kid, <laughs> you know, there's like a certain, there's just like a certain look to like uh, actresses you know, that were in things back then, that mm-hmm. it's just very different, you know, styles and, right. and all that. And, and what casting directors are looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say that like, like even as much as like the nostalgia for like the werewolf makeup and the werewolves, it like brings back like all these feelings of like, <laughs> like budding adolescence <laughs> and being like, and, and kind of discovering women for the first time. Like, Oh yeah, that's what girls used to look like. <laughs> you know, back then. Uh, so like in terms of like, that's something that like, I totally didn't expect to, to have like any kind of effect on me because huh. most of the old TV shows I watch these days is from like the seventies. Like I'm on a huge, like Quincy kick right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's a very different look then yeah, than it was. Right. And it wasn't, and it wasn't the way women were, uh, you know, portrayed or, or looked in TVs and movies while I was growing up. So yeah, it's, it's that glamor shot kind of a f- effect on, on everything. Right. Like, yeah. And to, yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know why I, you know, that's, that was part of a casting question that uh, yeah. you had there, John. Yeah. yeah well, I, I like the, I, I, I do like, I, I do enjoy our lead uh, in this, that it, it seems like it wouldn't be the, the absolute conventional choice for it, I think, but I, th- I think he goes he, he goes through a nice arc where he's just kind of living his 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 uh, the storybook fairy tale life right and then he and then suddenly things get dark and then now he's now he's on a journey and, that, and that, you know I think he goes through a great arc that I buy totally because he does seem like anyone like naive and not gonna believe this this crazy story and then suddenly you know he's got to give up everything just to stay out of jail and uh, and then, you know, and then now he's going to like hunt, he wants to hunt down and kill a guy, like just to, just to solve his problems. Yeah. Uh, it's exciting. So, yeah, I, uh, I feel like his, I really, I, I just really bought his performance. Like, I, I feel like that kind of a role could easily go over the top 
you know, a different actor could really play that up. And it's going to, you know, we talk about all the time here that, that that's going to drive a lot of people away when you're just overdoing it almost like too theatrical. But I, I just felt like his was felt like a very natural reaction to that situation. So I don't know. Yeah. I really, I, I thought he was great. I was always hoping for more than daytime, daytime soaps for him. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I, his performance was a nice surprise. I, I don't really recognize him from anything else. So I didn't know what to expect, but I mean, I think to your point, John, like he does a really good job of keeping everything kind of grounded. Right. So there's a lot of fantastic kind of ideas going around in, in, in the, in the show and, and his performance is, is straightforward and solid. And I think, um, yeah, I, I, I thought he did a really good job. And what, what, uh, I mean, could you have cast a better person, a scarier person than Chuck Connors as Janos Scorzeni, uh, oh. who's the, the villain of the show? I mean, that dude scared me to death as a kid. And even now I'm like, nah, I wouldn't want to be in a room with that dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a, he's a real threat. He's a real scary guy. Uh, beautiful, beautifully done. Well, um, and it's a good turn for, for a guy who was, he was the rifleman for years and, and a, a classic, was it fifties or sixties? There was 60 early sixties TV star. Um, and then, you know, a lot of Westerns and, and very familiar face for probably our parents' generation, but to see him turn around and just be this awful villain. And a lot of that is, is Rick Baker's makeup effects that, that his is just nasty like it, it is it was frightening and i still find, yeah. find it frightening yeah i do find I, I do like like there's a touch in the there's a nice touch by the writers in the big uh like explanation scene that we were talking about where the front's tied up and he's kind of explain who this guy is and he kind of describes like you know almost like he's a cliche like he actually he's like it's kind of funny like the way he, this guy dresses <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they're, captain. it's kind of like drawing attention to it. I will say though, one of the things that as you, as I'm getting further into the series, I really wish they didn't name him like Scorsini or whatever, you know, it's like, it's a re I, I think it's an homage to the Night Stalker TV movie that became Kolchak, uh, the Night Stalker television show. Cause I think the um, vampire is named that. Uh, in that, but it's like, it's a kind of a ridiculous name. And it's definitely like a name that me and my friends would have used in like our, like mob movies that we made on VHS when I was in high school. Like, <laughs> put, put Scorsese on the phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so the fact that that name gets said a million times yeah. throughout at least the first half of the se series, it's like, yeah, like Eric Cord, great, great name, name. great yeah. name. Yeah. But like every time he's like, I'm looking for Scorsini. I'm looking, do you know Captain Scorsini? <laughs> it's like as it goes on, it's like, okay, we got it. That's a ridiculous name. Yeah. Well, and then you know, I mentioned before that he doesn't last too long in this series. I know he is in a a handful of episodes, but at a certain point, I think it's it sounds like Chuck uh wanted some more money. And they didn't want to give it to him. So they just, they ended up using like a body. They used a lot of uh, shots from the other episodes and from the pilot 
to kind of work around that. And then a body double. And then they're just like, screw it. Let's just, let's have it that he's not really the head villain, the, the head werewolf, that there's another one above him. And they, they kind of write off the, the, that character. So is it, yeah. is it true? Is it true that there's a scene where they like light him on fire so that they can kind of use the body double and get away with like extra makeup to, <laughs> yeah. to hide it? Is that, yeah. is oh, that wow. right? I, yep. I haven't gotten that far in this particular uh, uh, viewing of everything, but yeah, <sighs> I, apparently so. Also, he has like a lot of, he's got a lot of friends. Scorsini's going around, you know, like every yeah. episode, he, like, you know, Eric's running into some pal of Scorsini <laughs> <laughs> that's helping to drive that episode. Yeah. And, and I mean, you are right. It's like when you, you used to watch like He-Man and you'd always, that always use like the same shot of He-Man running from like, you know, mm-hmm. top of the screen to down to the bottom of the screen, or like, right? You know, or the thing on you know when he's flying on that thing. It was always the same shot. The the transformations they kind of do just uh, from yeah. here on, just kind of it's the same shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. kind of like the Hulk was kind of like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, those same like, close ups of the clothes but, but, ripping, yeah. and yeah. they spent they spent all that money on like let's get just let's shoot the thing really nice one time, and then yeah. we'll just keep using it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think Rick Baker's, I don't know. what. How do you guys feel about the, the werewolf makeup and costume itself? I, I personally felt like, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's like looking back on it now, it's the, the best, but it's, I felt like for the time it was, it was really strong. It was kind of following up because he did the howling as well. Didn't he? Uh, that was uh, Rob Bottin. Oh, Botin did the howling. Did okay. the howling, yeah. and then around the same time, oh, he did Rick Werewolf Baker in did London, American yeah. uh, Werewolf in London. Yeah, so it's kind of like you can see how it's sort of based off that you know that same kind of look. You know, a little bit it changed a little bit for this, but you never really get like a full. I don't think you ever get like a fully lit shot of it. I mean, it's always in some kind of darkness or firelight or some kind of side lighting. So yeah, obviously intentionally. So. There's somebody else who I couldn't find just before this when I didn't, you know, I, I was like, oh, there's somebody else involved. There was like another makeup artist that's attributed to it as well. And I don't know how, what their partnership was like, the collaboration, but it was a guy who worked on the howling hmm. uh, and Rick Baker. So it was like two guys who worked on like the two biggest, you know, mm-hmm. uh, werewolf movies up to that point had kind of like collaborated on this and i think the makeup's really cool yeah. i mean yeah. what but i'm i think i'm just like i did a show i i guess i did a guest appearance on something when i was promoting the first book several years ago and uh silver bullet came up and silver bullet is like literally one of my favorite movies of all time and the guy commented that the werewolf in that movie looks really bad and it like never occurred to me that like the werewolf looked really cheesy in that. Like, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm, I'm easy. I'm easy to please when it comes like, I was like, Oh yeah, I guess he does kind of just look like a big bear. Or yeah, something. he does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and same thing. Like I, I never thought about that at all until somebody, somebody brought it up and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's uh, he's just, He's just a tall bear, a tall skinny uh, bear. I've never. I'm now. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch because it's well, never dawned on me that that that's the case. I've, if, I've if always. I, on, 
on the Blu-ray, if you look at any of the like making of stuff, and there's like shots of them doing it like in the full daylight, you it, you can really see it there. But yeah. uh, okay, yeah. But my point is like that never bothered me. So like to me, like this looks awesome. Yeah. Like the I, I don't know if the logistic like if the humpback thing was like a logistical thing of how the machinery worked. Uh, you know, for the suit, or if it was a stylistic choice, but I think it's really cool. Uh, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't like know how. How would you make it? Like, how how would it be better than this? Yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, and that's the thing we've seen through all you know horror or werewolf movies since then. So many different looks and styles to how werewolves look, and some are some are good. You got your Jack Nicholson werewolf, but then you also got American werewolf in Paris, which was probably the worst looking werewolf. Like mostly, I mean, it looks CGI, but uh, terrible, terrible. But this, especially for TV and the kind of budgets that you have in TV, I, I thought this was fantastic. The fact they even got Rick Baker was, a, a, you know, kudos well, to them. Don't the werewolves in, in the show, they, they sometimes walk on their hind legs and also sometimes they walk on four like to run did i, I thought i read that somewhere in, uh, in i think that's articles. i think that's correct i i i'd have to watch it again the series again to see if it you know there's definitely it. a shot that i did kind of note late last night when i was watching one of the episodes where he he is like running away from something and he does do like a four-legged thing and i was like that is actually kind of cool i mean yeah that's real cool i think that they thought you know about i mean it's like that. one shot and it's quick but like now being like an adult and knowing that like the logistics of trying to do something like that with a, a person in a giant suit yeah. you know yeah it wasn't you know and it wasn't like it totally wasn't like oh it was like a you know, some, an animal running on all fours. But the fact that mm -hmm. like some stunt guy managed to kind of pull it off to some extent, I was like, that's, yeah. that's pretty neat. I mean, it was a striking shot when, you know, cause he's kind of running towards the camera for a couple of frames. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it does, it does happen. I mean, it's, I think it's cool. I like the makeup a lot or the suit, I should say. Yeah. And the transformation yeah. is cool too. Um, you know, yeah. it, there's a thing about this, which I think is very cool, which is like, it pulls, I was going to say it pulls from all these different kinds of like werewolf things, but I think in some ways, a lot of those things are things that came after this and that are maybe pulling from this a bit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the idea of, uh, you know, like Scorsese, when he turns, like he kind of rips off his face, which I think is maybe like in the company of wolves. And I don't yeah. know when that movie comes out, but uh you know, the transformation between like they each transform differently, mm -hmm. you know, like and which is also kind of like a cool. It is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, trait. Yeah. Like not nowhere. Two werewolves are the same. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that really I don't know. I think that works for the story. And, you know, it would have been interesting to see if this had lived, see where it would have gone. And if they kind of would would really get into that, the more werewolves you see, you see how different they can be. But but those guys are totally different. And, and the transformation uh, of his, of his roommate in the beginning that, uh, you know, that's the first time you really see it. And I thought that was really well done. You know, the, the eyes, like the black eyes, like that, that always gets me. So. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Um, I also read, I also read, and I don't know if this is true, but like the idea of killing the, like the top of the bloodline will break the curse was invented in this show, which I don't know if that's true or not, but I read it kind of reading about this, that, that, that originated for this as a device to have him. Sure. Or the reason why he would hunt, you know, the person that made him a werewolf would be to end the curse. And that's something that comes up. Like um, there was a show that was a remake of a British show. And I never really got that much into the British show, but uh, it was called being human, which was on the sci-fi network. Mm -hmm. And it was like, the setup was totally like, a ghost, a vampire, and a werewolf live in a house. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I watched. Yep, I watched that whole series. Yeah, me too. I, I love that show, but like that's definitely a key. That's like a key plot point in the werewolf story of that, if I recall correctly. Yeah, well, isn't I, the, isn't I mean that's incredible. I thought that that I mean that I f- felt like that had been around for for a long time, but like it makes it. sense because this is. This has right. been around. I mean, this is eighty-seven. So yeah, you know, and the internet is not always correct. But uh, what do you mean? It was something I was. <laughs> yeah, no, I trust everything on the internet. <laughs> Every so, I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to be out there and be like, "No, rare floor forever." That was a thing. Is that uh, sort but, of stolen from some vampire lores, though? Isn't I thought like, it was. Yeah, I thought it was a vampire lore, but I don't. I don't know. You know, like well, they're so they're so Dracula connected. And, yeah, vampires yeah. and werewolves. Oh yeah. Absolutely. When the when the the two werewolves were fighting, it, I thought about the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing movie. Has has anyone seen that? Oh, of course, <laughs> that when, classic. When <laughs> two CGI see two CGI monsters are fighting each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love uh, when I it's like, like when the when in that it's like when the clouds cross the moon, like that he turns back. So it's like it's not the gravitational pull or anything. It's literally it's like. Light. The reflection of the sun <laughs> off the moon. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that, exactly. Yeah, that turns them into werewolves. <laughs> was uh, was I, I think I think this also did a good job with the whole werewolf lore. Was the the pentagram was that always a werewolf thing, or was that also just invented for the show? That I don't know. I mean, it was always to me. It was because this was like this was the, it. probably my first real exposure to. Uh, you know, werewolf floor and movies uh, and television. So to me, it was all, I remember, you know, take a red magic marker yeah. and drawing it. On <laughs> I had, I'll, I'll, uh, it's, it's on my, my personal Facebook page, but I'll, I'll post it here on, uh, on our, you know, social media, but I had to have been the October of 87 that for Halloween, I dressed up as a werewolf and it's like a picture of me as a werewolf, my cousin as some kind of Roman dude. And, uh, but I've got like the, the, the mask and the glove uh, and the gloves got a pentagram on it. So I'm like, was that an actual like promotion for werewolf? I, I don't remember, but uh, I, I was wondering the same thing because that's the one thing about watching it this time where I was like, have I seen this before? Cause I remember the pentagram on the hand from something before. And I don't know if it was this or if I had seen it in, I don't know some other movie like witchcraft or something where, where they, where they may have done it as well. But that one image kind of stuck out to me, but none of, none of the other stuff made me think that I had seen this before. Well, and they, they do so much, you know, as we were talking about, they explain so much about how you become a werewolf, like what it is, you know, what were the big things before this? If, if it wasn't explained in either like the Wolfman 
you know, the Lon Chaney thing or the American Werewolf in London or the Howling or Silver Bullet. That was kind of those are the big ones at the time, right? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, look, it's a brilliant plot device, right? I mean, it's like it's a way for us as an audience to know that it's going to happen. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's visual, it's visual. It, it doesn't have to be him being like, I can feel it coming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be like a expositional dialogue every episode. It's like he looks down, he sees it. And then us as an audience is like, oh, shit, it's happening tonight. or It's happening yeah. soon. Yeah. And then when it starts to bleed, it's like, oh, it's happening really quick. Yeah. You know, uh, so in a way, like, you know, I, I can imagine that it was definitely invented for cinema or television mm-hmm. you know just in the way that like vampires being killed by the sun was invented in nosferatu <laughs> right you know the, yeah. you know and that and now it's it's bible for oh yeah <laughs> for vampires but that was created for a movie because they wanted a cool ending and they needed yeah, a way yeah. to kill them. Um, so i can imagine that it being such a visual kind of like indicator uh for for a visual storytelling that it must have come from some kind of movie yeah um, if, if not this television show yeah but they keep you know a lot of the standard stuff the silver bullet you know biting biting somebody and transferring the you know or not transferring but making them into the next werewolf um yeah. you know all that that kind of stuff was all out there already but uh well explained here so what but what doesn't get explained which is also kind of cool because coming off of like silver bullet where i feel like they're playing with you know, that that's based on the, you know, the novella cycle of the werewolf that like it, it is a, like it's not just like every full moon. Mm-hmm. Like they established their own rules for Silver Bullet. Yeah. Whereas this it's like it has established its own rules, but it's not revealed. You know, the, the friend says it's random, like he can't yeah. figure out what the cycle is. But then Scorsini's like, you know, I've been lo- one long enough to know when it's going to happen that the cycle is starting. So there is some, there is some cycle. Yeah. Right. But like, it's not revealed yet as to like, you know, what the, what the science of it is. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. It's cool. It gives you more to think about, you know, as you're going, you're leaving the pilot and going into the show that, you know, there's more to come. There's more info. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, you know, and it's, all, it's also like every episode doesn't have to take place on a full moon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is only once a month. That's <laughs> <it>. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. What about, so talking about the pentagram again in that opening scene, when you see him grab the glass, like that was such a, an impactful moment for me as a seven year old. And and when it, when the pentagram starts bleeding, like I, I thought that that effect held up really well. That that didn't it didn't come off as like oh there's you know it's just bladders and whatever. But uh, that worked, and I love that whole opening. It, it feels very eighties to me now, especially with the music and the the visual you know the visuals changing and and uh, obviously like just looking at everybody, they're super eighties. But uh, I, I love that. <laughs> love that opening well, it was the heyday of 87 that kind of makeup i mean it, it's such a wonderful time and i know like everybody's nostalgic for their childhood and, and everything but like if you think about it like we grew up at a time where you could for the first time watch movies at home not just 
on like Sunday night, if you catch it, whatever they're playing, it's like you could go someplace, get a movie, you could bring it home. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And like that was that happened during the most formative years of, of our lives for this yeah. kind of stuff. And then like at the same time, cable and the fact that like, you know, there were things like HBO where like there were just movies on all day, every day. Now, co- coinciding with that is makeup like these these creature makeups and you know and obviously special effects ilm all that stuff all that's driven by technology like the reason why those things became so big is because the technology at that time advanced far enough that they could do it and that is also amazing and we are like the beneficiaries of (laughs) yeah yeah of that and so like the reason why you get like you know, the amazing werewolf transformations in American Werewolf in London, and then a show where they can have a werewolf every episode, and you get like the Freddy Krueger makeup and all that stuff, and you can, you know, have space adventures. All this stuff is happening uh, because it couldn't happen before that. Right. And that's the only reason why that stuff is happening now. Yeah. And then pretty soon, just within the next 10 years, CGI kind of comes in and then it starts to be everything that is awesome in 1987. And at like at the peak form starts to become obsolete mm-hmm. in certain people's minds, whether it's budgetary or whatever, it's sure. like the, the, it changes and it becomes a bit of a lost art. You know, you look at a movie, like when I was, when we were doing Saturday night movie sleepovers, kind of like on the regular we were covering all these movies and I'm sure you guys run into this too, where you're just like in total awe of, you know, that like everything is firing on all cylinders, like total recall is like at the peak of every single special effects, like technology (laughs) that existed at that time is used in that movie from matte paintings to makeup effects to like everything they had at their disposal is like in peak form in that movie yeah. and, and that's not even a movie that like like i love it but it's not like it's not one of my favorite movies of all time but sure. when we watched it for the show yeah i was like oh my god like look at this look how beautiful this movie is <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know dated but like look at the look at the magic yeah. the movie magic that's created yeah. for this. Yeah. yeah and so the fact that like they could make a believable werewolf uh, transformation for a television show on some like fourth rate network and have it happen weekly, even if it was like recycling most of, if not all of the shots and flipping them probably a few times <laughs> trying yeah. to make yeah. them look different is magical. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just like, it'll never happen again. Like the, the whimsy of it and like the excitement of like a kid looking at that, something like this will just never happen again. Like it is, yeah. you know, there was something I always say, my brother and I have this argument, not argument, this discussion all the time because he's got a young son. And now that like everything is at, at their fingertips, there was something to being like a captive audience. Like you were forced to watch what was on. Right. So my brother and I always thought, like my brother says, you get like five years younger than us and people don't know anything about like Mikhail's Navy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah, my, bro- yeah. my brother's like 
first he's like, it's useless, but I know more about Mikhail's Navy than anybody I know. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, there was something to it. Like we were forced to watch things and experience things. And I think at least for like a pop cultural education, I feel like in a lot of ways, even though all of that is even more so at their fingertips because they're not forced to experience it, it they just never do. And the fact that like, like I had Philadelphia, we had five, ch- five, six channels tops. We had the three VHF, ch- uh, VHF channels. We had a new HF channels. We had like PBS mm-hmm. Fox. And then we had like two other channels in Philadelphia, which was great. Yeah. Uh, Cause when I moved to Albany shortly after that, we didn't have anything, mm-hmm. but even with just that many channels, when this aired, like there wasn't much else for me to choose from or my parents to choose from at that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it got watched because that was what was on. Well, and or else was, I might not have seen it. Right. It's, you know, we mentioned this before, but it was such a different kind of show at the time. And, and, and Fox was trying something different, you know, their, their first year of that 87, 88 lineup. I mean, some of these shows survived, but you know, Married with Children started that first year. Obviously, like that was, I don't know if that was their number one hit, but definitely like top three. Uh, you know, uh, 21 Jump Street, which is, you're a big fan of. Yeah. Who's, Who's not? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one well, of that... our uh, one of our professors in, in Brent and I's film school, the College of Santa Fe, I think directed some episodes of 21 Jump Street. Wow. Jo- Jonathan Wax. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that's a perfect example of a show like for the Fox network. Yep. Like there's a, I don't want to get too like on a huge 21 jump street tan- tangent. Cause that's not what we're here to talk about, but there's a great story that Stephen J. Canal talks about when he goes to pitch a different show to the Fox uh, executives. And just before that he had had a, um, somebody broke into his house. And he had to go to the police department to file the, the report. And he's sitting there waiting for the police officer sitting at the desk. And he sees this like teenage kid come down and sit down at one of the desks and pull a gun out and put it in a drawer and then pull out a textbook and start doing his homework. And he, when the police detective comes back, he says, what is that? Look, who is that? He's like, oh, that's part of a, a program we have here where pe- officers go into high schools undercover. And it's actually run out of an abandoned chapel down oh, the street. What? Wow. <laughs> and so like across the street or something. And so Stephen J. Canal goes to pitch some other show to Fox. And the Fox executive is like, no, we're not into that. Like, we're really trying to capture. We're trying to hit a younger demographic than the other networks. Do you have anything that could be geared towards like, you know, teenagers to like early 20s? And he's like, oh, I have this show idea about these teenage cops. <laughs> and he basically just creates a pitch based on this thing that he saw happen like the day before or something. But that was like Fox was like, look, nobody's catering to this audience. Yeah. And, the, and like for the first time, like 21 Jump Street is a show. It's a serious cop drama, but not geared towards adults geared towards teenagers yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's completely unique 
and it's completely uh, progressive. And the storylines that they tackle on that show would not even get tackled today. Like it's was so progressive. Oh yeah. That like, you can't even imagine some of the stuff getting, you know, in in a television show like that today. So, I mean, it was kind of a brilliant move to start a network Uh, knowing that they can't bring in the talent. They don't have the money that like CBS, NBC and ABC have, like, what can they do? We can, go we could aim it towards the kids of the people <laughs> that everybody yeah. else are because because by that smart. point there was more than one television in the house right you know like right. even if you didn't have one in your bedroom there was one like in the basement or right yep. in your parents room yeah. like you could go someplace yeah. else and watch television you didn't have to sit in the living room and watch it at that point and it just was a, a, an environment where something like werewolf could exist and uh it, it's just I just, I get really, as you can see, I get like when all these things kind of like cross, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. when we used to do Saturday movie sleepovers, it was always like, we would put everything, everything was talked about in the, con- in like the context of when it came out. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys do that. Uh, oh yeah. At least, at least to some certain extent yep. um, on this show. And so like the fact that, you know, going back to what we were talking about like at the beginning of this, the fact that a show like this could even exist. Yeah. Didn't occur until this moment. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah so it, many things. Go ahead, David. So, uh, so many things have to exist in the right moments to, to, to facilitate that. Right. So yeah. the, the innovations keep coming with the, those changes. I never really thought about that of the multiple TVs services. Now we have more channels. Like that's kind of brilliant. Right. Yeah. More TVs in the house. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and there was, you know, look at what what else was on those other networks. And this is complete, I don't know if it's complete counter-programming, but it's alternate programming. I mean, like you said, for that younger viewers who don't want to watch Dallas and Dynasty and, uh, you know, I'm sure some of them wanted to watch MacGyver, but maybe not everybody, uh, you know, and, and whatever other shows were out there. This was all felt very fresh and different. And you've got Tracy Ullman and, and then, pretty quickly the simpsons right after that i mean it's pushing the envelope right like i mean it's not it's not kind of the standard programming that was showing up on the big three like it certainly was was trying to to i mean like blake has been saying like hit a different demographic and and you know just reach a different core audience you know yeah and look some of it didn't work you know like i don't even remember beans baxter Oh my yeah. God! No. You said it. Beans <laughs> Baxter was on my VHS tape right after Werewolf. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't, I don't remember that show. I'm sure I probably watched at least a couple few episodes of it. I do definitely remember the Tracy Oldman show, and I remember Married with Children. Obviously, Married with Children went on forever. Yeah, but yeah. it's hard to like think about it now, looking back at a show like Married with Children, and realizing like how, what a off the wall idea. Like the fact that it was like even the working title of that show was not the Cosby show was the name of that show. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was throwing everything in the face of what the other networks, you know, prided themselves on and and were like, and were built on. It was like, this is not, this is like, this show is not that. And this network is not that. Yeah. Um, It just, uh, it was a, it was a a weird and wonderful time to be a kid at that point. Sure was. Um, let's, uh, just bring it back to werewolf here. Uh, how did you feel about Sylvester Leve's score here? 
I love it. You know, I, you know, watching it now, uh, you know, I probably, obviously as a kid, I probably didn't even think anything of it, you know, like I didn't even notice it. I mean, I always remembered like the opening, like synth chords mm -hmm. to like every episode. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't even call that the theme of the show because it's not like the, the, the theme that really gets the recurring theme is the one that, uh, John, you and I were DMing about the other day, which is like the, that, like '80s guitar, like the electric guitar, oh, yeah. Flo Pink Floyd, yeah. like End of Thief style, yeah, like instrumental, like that's that's like Eric's theme, yeah, you know, it's it's like melancholic, it's like the plight of this of the of the of the cursed, uh, it's sad, it. Uh, like that's what really what the, the, the theme of the show mm -hmm. is really that it's just not what opens the show now funny enough um back i don't know several years ago i don't even know if i rented it or i bought it on a whim when a video store was going out of business there was a movie called touch and go starring michael keaton mm. and he played a hot he played like a like a successful hockey player who, I, and then there's the, it involves a kid, but there's a theme in that, which was awesome. Like a, like a synth, like the, the main theme of that was like this synth thing. And I remember I brought it home and I lived with a bunch of dudes in Port Chester at that point. And uh, me and one of my roommates watched it and he was a keyboard player and I was a guitar player. And then we just jammed that theme <laughs> for like two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> so flash forward like 10 years i'm watching um some tv movie from the 80s that was directed by wes craven starring i think robert urich unfortunately i can't remember the name of it and i'm just like loving this score and by this point i had either i was either working on the first book um or had, had already finished it so like transitioning into writing a book about film music like it changed my entire not just like my life but like my outlook on film mm -hmm. and learning about this process from all these composers and so like i'm just very aware of the music uh, a lot and i'm just like loving this theme so i look it up because now you know we have the internet and whatnot and i find out it's this guy named sylvester levey writes this theme for this west craven television movie and I'm looking through his stuff. I'm like, oh shit, he did touch and go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like awesome. <laughs> of Cobra. I mean, yeah. oh, he did werewolf. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like this guy is he did the he did he did the airwolf uh theme uh too. Uh and I was like, this guy is, you know, he's my soulmate, this guy. So <laughs> uh I love it. You know, that's that's another thing, along with this the special effects, like the techno like technology and music had changed mm -hmm. in the seventies. And by that, by 1987, like synths had really been coming into their own, you know, and in film music, you had a lot of guys doing it because it was cheap. You know, John yeah. Carpenter talks about it all the time. And, yeah. but like, by like 1986, like with like big trouble in little China and stuff like that, like Carpenter's at like, the height of his powers with Alan Howarth mm -hmm. making these scores. And it's because Howarth is keeping up with the technology. He's a tech, yeah. he's like a tech head. And so the fact that this score 
is synth is budgetary, but also it was stylistic for that time period, but stylistic for that time period because the technology got that far. And so it's like, it's this like weird cycle, you know, uh, of, of things. And I just, I love the music. I mean, it gets, look, like I said, that theme gets used a lot. like crazy, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and I, and I'm now like, I'm going to try to reach out to that guy to interview him for my podcast. You have to. Where I can, you know, the continuing adventures of Score to Death on Score to Death the podcast, where I continue interviewing composers. Because I want to ask him, like, did you score every episode or did you just create like a library of cues? And then the editor just like popped them in when they needed them. As the show goes on, you start to hear like more themes because yeah. there's like more suspense scenes that need to be played with. Mm-hmm. You know, the storylines do demand other things, but for the most part, especially in this pilot, it seems like he wrote like three cues and then yeah. <laughs> they just get used over and over again. Cue it up again. There you go. They, they just happen to be like really cool synth cues, which yeah. I have a certain nostalgia and, uh, and, and uh, liking for. Yeah. I think uh, that was a, a really great comparison to that, that, you know, Com- comfortably numb kind of riff that they do at the end of Thief that uh, this has that same kind of energy with it. Yeah. But I, I love the opening too, just the, like not even the electric guitar, just that ominous kind of tone when Lance the Galt is, is doing his opening, you know, uh, speech in the beginning of the pilot. And then it goes into, then we get some, you know, traditional kind of 80s music with Mike and the Mechanics and uh, the future is so bright. I mean, <laughs> if you got that in your, your product, then you're good. You're good to go. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, that the time period, and it's a shame that, you know, obviously you'll, you'll want to talk about like the fact that this doesn't exist in any kind of like home medias because of things like music right. rights. Yeah. Um, but like, I managed to get a, uh, like they, they obviously some shows got around that on DVD by just replacing the music with you know library music and so like 21 21 drum street's a perfect example of that like if you get that show here it's just like replaced with like random seemingly random sometimes music although you know um the music in that show anyway which i think was peter peter bernstein i think might have done that um he it sounds a lot of his music just kind of sounds like library cues anyway, because it was, <laughs> it was synth and low budget. So yeah. it doesn't stick out, but there's a German box set of the DVDs that has the, the music and that the pilot of um, 21 jump street is just full of like, whatever that Steve Winwood album was that had like higher love on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel you know, like it's, it's like he's, it's like they, it was almost like they hired Steve Winwood to score the pilot. <laughs> it's like every song is, is a Steve Winwood tune. <laughs> so, so you have to tell me because I, I feel like I, I forget which season it was, but one of the seasons of 21 Jump Street, I think the, the finale ends with U2's still haven't found what I'm looking for, which is like, I feel like key to the to the emotion of the episode. Yeah, yeah. That's it not like, in the American. It's not in the American box set. I cannot recall like what's in its place. The only thing that's in know, the in the American box set is there's a there's an episode where they go to a like pinhall is like a, one of the officers is like a bouncer at a club, and it's when they get a little mm-hmm. bit older, 
and there's like a B-52s video playing on the television. And I think that song is still in the episode because because the video is on. Got it. Uh, but everything else in the American releases of the DVDs, I think, is, is, is all replaced. Wow. Oh, that's rough. All right. German, German box said it is then. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> as I described to John, that for some reason, the German box sets each have like two minutes and 30 seconds cut out of each, every episode. Oh, wow. Which is completely what? random. <laughs> they just pick what two minutes and they just, just pull it out. <laughs> what? Yeah. That doesn't make what? <laughs> I, I don't know why. Uh, uh, so, so it's like you kind of got to pick your poison. Do you want the music or do you want to miss like two minutes and 30 seconds of the show cut out like in various spots? It's oh, cut yeah. out in a way that you don't notice it. And I only realized it because I was like well into one of the seasons mm-hmm. and I was watching it. And there's a shot where they all do like a high five, which is like in one. Of, it's in like the opening yeah. of that season. Yeah. And it gets to that scene. And I remember that scene because by that point I had watched it like three times already. The American box sets. And that, see, that shot wasn't there. And I was like, wait. <laughs> so I pulled out the American box set and I popped it. And I was like, yeah, that shot's missing. And I, oh. I looked at the running times and I was like, oh, crap. They cut out like a two minutes and 30 seconds. Like out of every episode of the show, for some reason. They have different episode lengths. That's oh, crazy. Um, so for now, getting back to Werewolf. So we're talking about the, the music and stuff there. And I, what I read is that the reason that they weren't able to just replace some of the music was because it was actually like imprint I don't know exactly what the what the term was that they were using but it was like imprinted in the in the film right so like they couldn't just cut it out I yes and you know I don't know I'm like five six episodes seven episodes something into it and I don't really there's no other music other than the pilot that's really sticks out to me yeah but uh, you know, I my day job is uh, is I work in post production for television. So when you deliver a master, I mean, now it's kind of different because now you del- you deliver everything digitally. You know, you just email right. it. Right. Um, but even before that, when you would deliver the tapes, you'd have like the first two tracks would be like your stereo track, and then you'd have a track of just the music, and then the track of just like the effects, and then a track of yeah. just the like the dialogue. And I guess those like split masters must not exist for the yeah, show they'd all been That's, flattened into one into one like file or whatever i mean yeah like one like probably just all probably just have that like final like mixed stereo yeah. track well and what i also read is that it's only really three songs that's like messing this thing up like i, I hear it's not even a whole bunch of, of yeah, music it's, but yeah it, it's it's Mike and the Mechanics. It's it's the future so bright, and I, I can't actually remember what the third one is, but I think there is another one mixed in. Yeah, they just have to bummer. bring in. They just have to bring in, uh, you know, Michael J. York and everybody to to come in and ADR all yeah. that well, stuff and rebuild the <laughs> rebuild the tracks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's three it's three songs keeping this uh, series from being, uh, you know put together right because that was yeah. what was it was it i want to say it was scream factory but i don't know if that's accurate well Sh- i think shout Sh- factory Shout which factory, is also yeah. which is also scream the same company they had planned on it for a while and yeah. they put the kibosh on it because i think they had the, the artwork were- out there and and everything and it was they had a release date and then they pulled yeah. it it's unfortunate yeah th- this had a you know after this got axed in i think it was like the summer of 88 i think if you look at the air dates i think it was 
you know, is airing consistently for a while. And then when a show gets in trouble, they pull it off the air and they take the remaining episodes and just kind of sprinkle them wherever they need to. And then, then werewolf was sort of never heard from again until it ran, I think in the early two thousands, it was running on chiller. Wasn't chiller a channel. I don't know if that's still a thing, but yeah, I I don't think it exists anymore. Um, There was a couple of channels that kind of popped up. Um, the one was owned by the people that own AMC and I forget what that was called. That wasn't chiller, but I feel like chiller was maybe owned by the same people that owned sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was connected to sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. They, they had some cool stuff. They had like Freddy's nightmares. Um, they were airing stuff like that. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I guess werewolf. Yeah. You can, I mean, like I only, that. I only remember it cause you can see like little clips on YouTube or when you do an image search, like it'll have the chiller logo in the, in the yeah. corner. So, mm. and that's only like other, like decent quality version, but you can't find more than little clips. So, um, but yeah, then, then the next thing was the, the almost DVD set with shout factory and, and that got pulled, but otherwise it's you know some bootleg copy that you could get off of uh, i offer or wherever <laughs> and well and, horror but, conventions probably yeah yeah that's true yeah um, i mean i feel like this is something that i really want to like i, I mean it, it it does feel dated but it, i feel like if if i could find a version of it that was of some pseudo okay quality like i'd want to watch this from like start to finish because yeah. It, it, this is absolutely, I don't know how I missed it as a kid. I don't know where I was, you know, I know, you know, Fox was new. It was kind of at first, I think my parents were a little like, we don't know about the programming on Fox. Maybe you should stay away from that. And so maybe it was, I didn't get a chance to see it then, or I was too busy watching Benny Hill and bizarre. I don't know, but, <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, it was, it was, I definitely missed it. And I feel like it would have been something that I absolutely would have adored and loved and had similar fond memories as, as, as you two guys, if, if I had seen it back, back then, I'd really like to watch it now, but I gotta be honest. There's no way I'm going to be able to watch it like off, off the, off the internet version that I was able to, to see the pilot. Cause it's just like, you lose so much of the quality. Like you're yeah. talking about the makeup and stuff earlier in the show. And it's like, man, I can't even really chime in. Cause it's, like Black I could watches moving. Yeah, on. it's I'm just kidding. like so pixelated, and I'm like, man, this is rough, you know. So I, I'm. It's a bummer that three songs or whatever, however many songs, is something that's like keeping this thing from from happening. Because I feel like there's obviously some cult kind of following to it where people people love it, but I feel like you know anybody who's just nostalgic for '80s kind of TV or horror or you know any of the topics that we've kind of touched on here would would be interested in seeing it. And it's just like one of those things that just seems like it's not going to happen, which is a bummer. Yeah. I, I don't know. They just, they just put out a French DVD release of it last year that, you know, had this beautiful artwork on, on the DVD. And I was like, do am I going to get it? Should I get it? I was debating forever. And then I was waiting to see reviews and it sounds like it's just, it's mostly just a straight, another bootleg version and a real pretty box. Mm-hmm. So like uh, I'll keep my my bootleg version here. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, who knows? I I don't know. It's I think Sony holds the rights uh, technically, or maybe. But um, I think they time... went back to Sony after after Shout Factory. Yeah. Release well, once once some 
once I'm back on the on the Sony lot the next time, I'm going to stay there until I can find my way into the archives. Dig through. <laughs> and then those those tapes are going to be missing. So, well, look, can we start like a crowdfunding campaign? How much can like Michael Mechanics cost, really? For I, really, I know. Well, yeah. that was my thought too. I was like, how <laughs> much? God. How much can it really be to like get the rights for these three songs? Like, is that the, no, really the like, issue? Look, look what they did with Miami Vice uh, when when you know the TV on DVD craze started to get huge in the in the two thousands. Like, there was so much talk about Miami Vice and when was that show coming. And it was held up because of the music, but and obviously music is such a huge part of that show and yeah. and integral to like every the soundtrack of every single episode. Yeah. And they went and did it. They went, or at least for the ninety percent of it, they went and got the rights. And especially the pilot, like you have to have that music in the Miami Vice pilot. So uh, you know, so they pushed for yeah. it. So it can be done. It can be done. I remember for a long time. Um, the Wonder Years was streaming yep. without yeah. the music, and yeah. that was like oh, really kind of, that was hard to watch. Yeah. And then eventually, they really I think they did really finally yeah. for like some anniversary of the show, they went and they restored all the music for like yeah. a, a, a DVD box set of it. Well, this this time period, you know, uh, I I don't know if it was the studios like intentionally taking advantage of of uh, you know there not being a lot of music rights, uh, you know, rules and regulations or they were just doing it and and you know it ends up years later sort of hurting those shows because then then they're just blocked from any, from going any further but uh I don't think that was necessarily the intention at the time I mean you're going to use the music that was available so but isn't the music right language now it's like if you if you license something it's it's on there permanently for the yeah. rest of time, no matter what kind of device yep. or service. World, worldwide has, in perpetuity. Like, yeah, there's language that goes and, with it. And something and like even like even on technologies that have not been invented yet, like something like that. It's just yeah. to that effect. So yeah. fascinating. Um, I know Paul Reiser it's documented what it took to make mad about you able to be put on dvd or something is there lots of uh lots of little bit of snippets of songs mm -hmm. all the time and like it was like two like 260 different like rights that things that they had yeah. to get and but most of it was all owned by one i don't know and uh, one place and it was just like well you guys can just you know i, I think paul riser went back to see whoever produced it and was like we made you like half a billion dollars. Like, can't you just drop like 10 million and just <laughs> let us it? release this? Yeah. <laughs> like, and uh, they, they actually bought it. Like they, they, they went ahead and did it. So. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, I, I worked on, on a TV show that I worked on. I, I handled a lot of this stuff and uh, you don't know until you ask, you know, when like I had to go after American gladiators for, for a clip and, got that for like nothing but then we had to get um you know uh was it and uh enter the dragon with uh was it enter the dragon it was one of the bruce lee movies um mm -hmm. maybe game of death with uh uh was it was it who is it kareem abdul jabbar was he yeah in? he's yeah. in game of death yeah yeah so we went after him and it was like <laughs> hundred thousand dollars he wanted just yeah, for like two seconds and and it was like you know you never know until you go there so yeah um you know you'll never sh see a show like dream on on dvd yeah. because there's mm -hmm. so many clips and that's just so much work and who knows how much money it'll end up being but it's just not worth the time to put into it 
I mean, yeah, I think ultimately definitely. with Werewolf, like obviously it didn't last past the season. You know, unfortunately, it didn't find its audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's kind of two ways of looking at it. Like one, there aren't that many episodes. There's, you know, we're, you know, we we reportedly, allegedly, three songs holding this up. How expensive can it be? But then there's the other side where it's like how many people are going to buy it yeah <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah like, like miami we... vice had a much bigger fan base exactly. than, than yeah. werewolf probably did right so yeah. yeah well i i don't know i think uh i think it's 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 a good show it's a solid show with a strong pilot that uh i don't know why it didn't take off i think you know they had it sounds like there was some kind of you know issues on the creative end of what direction it was going to go and then Again, losing your villain, um, one of your main actors, and not maybe not having a totally clear plan uh, of where it was going to head next. But what what night did it air? Uh, it started that? as Sunday night, and then I yeah, feel like it moved because I remember it being on Sundays. Yeah. But there's a lot of like on my bootleg copy. There's a lot of like on Sunday night on Twenty One <laughs> Jump Street, Pinhall yeah. falls in love with his English teacher, which means like it couldn't have been on Sunday night because. Right. You know, like it's pre- it's previewing, yeah. What's co- what's going to be on on Sunday? Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, I wonder if like, you know, if it was airing maybe like Friday nights, you know, its aud- its target audience would be out. You know, would not right. be at home. You know, teenagers would be out. Yeah, at that point, yeah. hanging out at the mall and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it would be home watching TV. You know, in the '90s, there was a reboot of Dark Shadows that mm-hmm. lasted only a season. Um, and uh, in my second book, Score to Death 2, I, ta- I talked to the composer of Dark Shadows, who sadly is no longer with us because mm-hmm. he was 94 when I, when I interviewed him. But we talked about the reboot because that's I watched that with my parents. And I think that was I remember it being on Friday nights because like, you know, yep. the big lineup was, you know, we'd watch Dallas in the house. And uh, maybe it was it was a Falcon Crest was also oh, on yeah. Friday yep. night. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh and Dark Shadows, which was a soap, you know, it was kind of a perfect, yeah. you know, addition to to these kinds of things. But as a vampire story, it really was geared towards a younger audience. You know, it really wasn't geared towards the same audience as Dallas. It was really mm. pushing for a younger audience. Yeah. And kids weren't that people that would that appeal that would appeal to weren't home. And in that particular case, like the night it aired was like when we entered desert storm and like, so that it got like preempted yep. and then yeah. every night, every night it just got pre every time yeah. aired, it just got preempted. And I, re- I this- remember, I loved that. I loved dark shadows, that reboot and same thing. Like, like it was supposed to be on and just wasn't on when it was supposed to be. And, and you could almost never find it. And then that's, you know, the death sentence for a show. Yeah. yeah. But my, my point is like, whatever night they had it on might've, there's a chance that that played a big part into like, why, it never found an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you start moving a show from its original time slot, I've been on shows where that happens. It's you, you, the, the audience erosion happens real quick and they don't come back, you know, unless something major happens. And even then it's unlikely. So yeah, um, I, I think that was a part of what happened here. And uh, yeah. And it's too bad. I just, uh, you know, Brent knows I've been talking about this this damn show for forever, and <laughs> and now finally after having seen it, was 
was it worth it, Brent? Did you, did you enjoy it? <laughs> I mean, it's bittersweet, man. Cause I, you know, like I, I, like I was saying, I think that this is a show that I would really enjoy even watching now. And it's, you know, difficult or next to impossible to find, yeah. you know, a version to, to watch so is it, it, is it worth it to have loved and lost to, to never have loved it all exactly that? right like <laughs> i mean i'm glad now that i've That's... seen the pilot but it's probably going to stop there for me unless it does release on on you know unless shutter buys it or you know somebody finds a way to distribute it so that it can you know we can see it again yeah. and all now one cool. thing i did i didn't know is that there's like comic book issues, which yeah. I will now yeah. be looking for yeah, same. on eBay. So the continuing adventures, but there's only like four issues or something, right? There's not <laughs> yeah, that four many. or five, yeah. something like that is very short run. Yeah. The, the continuing adventures of Eric Cord, whatever. <laughs> you just need to reboot it. Well, like, that's what I'm saying. Let's just that's, reboot I, werewolf. I literally, I remember sitting outside our dorm room in the hall and listening to silent running on my, my, you know, disc man, and uh and writing out like yeah. how to how to reboot or 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 even you know do a follow-up like where yeah. now you could do this where eric cord is sort of the the chuck connors of it all and uh no I one would even that. know it's referring with a couple wine coolers just yeah, there, there you go making it happen no one would even know it's referring well, to a whole other show unfortunately they did they did teen wolf instead yeah you know yeah you, you, yeah. Needed, to, you needed to capture that uh <laughs> The teen uh, werewolf uh, vampire craze of yeah. Twilight. You need to ride that wave to oh, get yeah. werewolf yeah. reboot made. Or you could go the direction of Teen Wolf 2. There's always that. Well, yeah, T-O- but when you're talking T-O-O. Teen Wolf, you're, you're talking Teen Wolf like the MTV or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. The, terrible, they, whatever that. I never was. even saw an episode of that. Like, I, I just like, that's that's not my Teen Wolf. I'm not, I'm not going there. <laughs> No, what, it, there's no basketball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where's Michael J. Fox? Come on. Oh my God. Well, uh, it was uh, it was really fun to explore werewolf, uh, a, a subject that most listening to this probably are not going to know what it is, but now they will. <laughs> will be yeah. the lowest rated episode you guys have. Nah, <laughs> no way. Let's. It's it's so bizarre. Which you know, which we talk about it all the time. Like which episodes get these spikes, and and why was at close range like our highest uh, downloaded episode for a really long time, and then whatever then it, it shifts but this one i think it's gonna i think this one's gonna hit we're gonna we're gonna make yeah. it hit our big mistake with saturday Night movie sleeper was, was like our third episode is a very obscure bruce campbell movie called mind warp oh yeah, yeah. that i was like that i love but i was like this is the kind of movie we should be doing like movies that nobody know like talks about and but there and then like it never like nobody listened to that episode <laughs> and then never <laughs> nobody that even when we gained like a decent listenership, nobody went back to that one. Yeah. Right, Everybody's right, like, right. I don't know this movie. Why yeah. would I yeah, <laughs> listen right. to you talk about it? Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna listen to that one now. That's uh well, I, I love one of my favorites is the Remo Williams episode. Oh so, one yeah, of my I'll favorites that as one out. well. Classic. That's one, it's the one I always plug because that's also one nobody listened to. Really? But but what a, a great movie. Episode. Oh, so I was gonna say we need to do Remo Williams 
yeah. some point. We'll we'll and, cover it. You know, if we did Avenging Force, we'll we'll do we'll do Remo Williams at some point. Yeah, here. and you can read about the creation of the score for Remo Williams and Score to Death too. More Ooh. conversations with some nice. of our greatest composers. So That's where can awesome. where can everybody find these uh, these books? Well, uh, they're on Amazon. The by the time this gets posted, I think uh, I might as well. We'll consider this the first plug for the Kindle version. We'll probably oh be. nice. Oh, hey, all right, yeah. nice finally, and easy for everybody. I've been trying to contact my publisher. I'm like, why isn't there a Kindle version of this yet? It's been you know a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's been nine yeah, like, months. Make it happen. <laughs> And uh, they didn't even realize it wasn't on there. Like, oh, okay, we'll get on it. <laughs> Thanks, publisher. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, they're on Amazon um, and uh, other book retailers also. But uh, or you can order them from me directly, uh, signed at uh, scoredtodeath.com. And cool. I'm, on, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Scored to Death. And uh, I do. I, I don't do score to death and podcasts very often anymore, but I would like to do them with Sylvester LeVay. And I have a, an episode that I'm editing right now with David Shire. Oh, nice. that's an, that's an interview podcast. Um, but I've been doing kind of like a radio show type podcast over at uh, the cinematic sound radio network. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's scored to death radio. And that's basically an hour long show where I kind of play DJ and I play film cues um, and just kind of introduce them and, and stuff like that. So, uh, I used to do a, a show like that at a different network. Um, my big thing was, we've been talking all about, uh, you know, rights. I, I didn't want to do it unless where I was doing it was paying, you know, the artists for it. So, uh, I'm thankfully where I'm at right now with the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, they have all the licensing stuff worked out. So. Nice. Uh, I get to do that show now, which is I get to play. I get to create a mixtape every that's awesome <laughs> every couple of weeks or that's, month that's, or so. That's fun. That's great. So that's where you can find everything score death. And uh, there's back episodes over a hundred, maybe two hundred episodes of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers that still exist uh, off, uh, out in the internet. Um, and uh, at some point, I'm sure Deanna and I will re maybe some anniversary will come back yeah you get a, uh, a very special episode you know yeah yeah get a christmas one together we did it at least every two weeks for almost seven years um, uh, we, we never took a break there was no seasons it was a light clockwork um and then by the end episodes were like three and a half hours long yeah. so uh, it was a commitment and uh, we just kind of got burned out and um, I think we both obviously would like to get back to it uh, but now we're kind of exploring other things and we'll get back to it at some point but yeah there's lots of great episodes to uh, go back and listen to if you haven't heard them yet yeah they're uh, I'll vouch for that so uh, yeah that's pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts you can find Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers right yeah yeah. And Score to Death Radio is a little tricky because you have to go find um, Cinematic Sound Radio because it's okay. through them. But at this point, it's been up enough that if you just Google Score to Death Radio, you'll probably find it. But it's like through the, like, if you're going to go on Apple Muse, Apple Podcasts, it's on like the Cinematic Sound Radio, like, account mm-hmm. for that. It's not its own thing. 
Well, we will uh, make it mandatory for anyone uh, touring through the Recon Cinema studio lot that they get scored to death. The book one and two must read it start to finish by the end of the tour. So (laughs) (laughs) there'll be a quiz at the end. So yes, (laughs) but uh, thank you so much for for coming on. It was so much fun to talk about this stuff and. We'd absolutely love to have you back uh, when we when we can all get our schedules aligned. Yeah, this was great. I haven't done uh, something like this in in a while. Like I said, we I did it a lot, <laughs> and I did uh, a few things to promote the book when it came out the late last year and earlier in the year. But uh, it was nice to sit down and chat werewolf with uh, my fellow uh, film lovers and and i'm gonna say this is this is another groundbreaking moment but there's i'm gonna just put it out there that this is the first coverage ever of of werewolf uh, uh, in this kind of uh method so yes uh, I've never heard of a podcast talking about werewolves. So yeah, well, I talked about it a lot on. Well, Saturday, y- yes, but yeah. we never dedicated a whole episode. Correct. Yeah, it yeah. was always in passing. <laughs> yeah, and maybe <laughs> one day if this episode does well, we'll just have to do the the werewolf, uh, you know, show by itself and just episode by episode. But not until we can find a good bootleg copy. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> maybe we'll try that. I'll try that French one afterwards. After all, and just. See, see how it holds up but uh i want to find this friend of yours john who stole your copy i'm gonna go oh i can give you an address I, I know where he's at <laughs> send it but over sadly my my vhs copy is not there so i'm gonna send send the, your listeners after him exactly That's right. yeah. <laughs> uh all right great well uh thank you again for coming on with us uh we'll we'll stay tuned for everything that you're you're up to and and uh we'll we'll be promoting scored to death here and uh, stay tuned, everybody. We've got a great rest of the of the Shocktober lineup coming your way. Following up some of, uh, if you've been following the podcast for a while, you can probably guess at what our next couple of episodes are going to be following some of our horror movie uh, franchises, the next uh, film in, in that uh, in that series. But um, so stay tuned, and uh, we will see you next time on Reconsinimation. Take care. Bye, ma'am. Weeks to come, the road Eric Cord must travel is a lonely one, one peopled by demons. The demon he pursues, Scorzani, a monster who must die to end Eric's curse. The demon inside him, the bloodlust that threatens to turn Eric into a killer out of control. And the demons that plague humanity, fear, greed, guilt, and revenge. But there are other travelers on this road that renew Eric's courage and hope. The strength of friendship, the love of a family, the warmth of a young girl's heart. Priceless and grasped for only an instant before they slip away. But they all remain allies in Eric's battle with evil. The evil around him and the evil within, whose name is Werewolf. Werewolf.